Hey, John. Hey, Marcy. How's it going? You know, I'm just still trying to overcome the news of this week. You mean the fact that there might be a hurricane building up? Like, what are we talking about? Was there news this week? What happened? Like, anything big? Um, God appeared in the sky <laughs> and told us that she is announcing a new album in October. Ten is on its way. She I, hath risen. Look, everyone who listens, if you follow us on Twitter, you know I go by Magdalena on fire. Um, I have waited by the tomb, y'all. <laughs> it's been so long. Um, so been 84 years to quote that nice old lady from the Titanic. I think it's 83. It's been 83 years. A hundred percent. What a week for... What a week for women, men, uh, they, thems, anyone who even has ears. What a week. We find out that Taylor Swift will be dropping TS10 October 21st. I just want to put this out there. She drops this news 13 years after the Kanye uh, scene at the VMAs. Debacle. At the VMAs. And she will be releasing this on Kim Kardashian's birthday, October 21st. We love a shady queen. I stand someone who is so strategically petty. I'm I'm petty, but I'm not that. I can't. I'm messy petty. So to be to be that strategic. Messy petty. I'm messy petty. I'm like. That's your drag name. Messy petty. First off, we know my drag name is Volva La Resistance. But. (laughs) I will totally take Messy Petty as a pseudonym. Uh, <laughs> did you know, have I never said that on this podcast? No. I die every day. That's you someone, know what mine is? They're not taking me up on it. What's yours? Lady Matoman. <laughs> because that's the name of my first dog and the street I grew up on. That's, that's great. That's great. It's not like Lady I'm, Matoman, right? I mean, come on. It's not bad. It's actually not bad. Um, I'm here for it. I love it. But yeah, no, uh, just what a week. What a week. Uh, very excited. Uh, album's going to be called Midnight. It's apparently uh, songs written at midnight over the years. So it's all vault tracks. And if everyone's like, this is a Game of Thrones podcast. Why are we talking Taylor Swift? Because we talk royalty. <laughs> and it and was she's obviously the one that ends up on the Iron Throne. Hello. When it comes to the Iron Throne of music, um, it's been a, a year for dueling queens, right? We've got Beyonce with a tremendous album, Taylor Swift dropping another album. I think some people would say Adele. Uh, I would say that is not true in this moment. That, but Adele definitely got eclipsed. She definitely got it. I just, I don't think it was a great album, but yeah. sorry to all the Adele fans. We'd love you. But watching women, right. Who just keep trading the throne and crown is a great thing. So yeah, that's my very non great segue into talking about this episode of game of Thrones. Uh, this episode is titled the rogue prince for obvious reasons. Damon is out here. Damoning. Right. I love it. Uh, And we're excited to talk about it. You ready to talk about episode two, John? I'm ready. All right, folks. So I think a lot of us this week discovered a new phobia, which is being tied down on a beach somewhere in Westeros or in the free city. It was the free cities. The free cities. In the free cities, slowly beaten, eaten alive by crabs. And I didn't know crabs were so vicious. Apparently they are in the free cities. Uh, What an opening. I discovered a phobia I really didn't know I have. I felt it everywhere, everywhere in my body. Uh, The crab feeder is Kragus Drahar. He is one of the nobles or of the free cities or one of the powerful men. Uh, And he loves to to be really, really awful to the folks that he is punishing. 
Like, yeah, it's really messed up. Um, also, as someone who just came from the beach this past weekend, I was trying to get away. Hashtag live my best life. Um, but, you know, wow, what a way to go when they were like in this guy's foot. It was it was disgusting. So I was I was talking to my partner about this. And one of the things I was saying, and I actually had this conversation with my brother as well. So this episode had us have the first introduction to the new opening credit, right? And both of them were like, where are the houses? Like, what What a weird opening credit, but they kept the music. And as, as someone who knows the entire story of the Blacks and the Greens and the Dance of the Dragons, I was completely enamored with the opening sequence. But what I said to them was, hey, so this is not a spoiler. And so to anyone listening, this is not a spoiler. This story is literally red wedding after red wedding after red wedding after red wedding. Like the dance of the dragons, the fight of the black and the greens is just nonstop death, right? So you kind of, I think there's this thing where, this is me telling everyone, don't get attached to anyone where we're really going to be surprised and is going to be in the creativity by which we watch folks die. And this is our first really kind of catastrophically awful uh, example of this is a bit of a different story than Game of Thrones in the sense that we are not following a gajillion plots. We're following one family, their demise, right? And the kind of collateral pieces that move in this one family's fight for power. Their so, iron demise, if you... Their iron demise is a really good pl- way to put it. The crab feeder is kind of the first foe that is brought in. Um, but remember, I on the story, this is the story of the Targaryen downfall. We know that. This is a story of the Targaryens, their self-destruction, and the and the end of, of the time of dragons, right? And in, if you're really paying attention, really bad wigs. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, Come on, HBO. You're literally spending millions of dollars. How is every wig great except for hers? I don't get it. But poor girl, so beautiful. So beautiful. Um, But to be fair, someone was like, it is really hard to grow into your wig at eight years old. Um, True. 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 Uh, One final note on that opening scene uh, a friend of mine worked. Uh, was like, what do you think it means? And I was like, it's follow the blood. So this story is not following the houses. The story is following the bloodshed. So that spilling of blood, the following of blood to these very key moments that pop up in that beautiful kind of animation that we grew to love in Game of Thrones, it is actually telling a story. Uh, it's it's a little more complicated because the kind of points of interest that come up as the blood's like is shed are very specific but i think as the story unfolds you know at hbo it'll become much more apparent why that's the opening and obviously it'll keep switching and changing we're just going to be following blood for as many seasons as they will have us and congratulations house of dragon on being renewed for season two i saw that which was i yes amazing and also duh all right so the crab feeder were introduced, were creeped out, were like, oof, not how I want to go. We end up at the small council room, which shout out to my brother, who is obsessed with the fact that this entire season has a lot more political intrigue and kind of chess playing in the council room. It is. And I'm kind of laughing because I'm like, more dragons. And he's like, more council room. I and want more dragons. So JP, we know you're listening. You're outnumbered here. <laughs> You're outnumbered, but it shows that there's something for everyone. So we're with Viserys in the small council room and we're discussing uh, Sir Raymond, a member of the Kingsguard. He died. Right. Um, And it's kind of it's kind of like a, a discussion amongst the men. But Rhaenyra is in the room. Right. She is the like, I think, effectively the water bearer. And I and that is something the cup bearer, the cup bearer. There we go. There we go. Water bearer feels much more feminist. Um, But that was actually something that was done often with heirs to the throne so that they would learn without actually interrupting or being a part of uh, councils and 
this is based off of the War of the Roses. We've talked about that. So we know historically that this was a position that heirs to the throne would hold, right? She's pouring stuff for the for the men in the room, right? She's listening. She's listening to complaints, right? Um, and there's a couple that I think are interesting. Obviously, um, Corliss Valerian talks about the crab feeder. We know that he's made his, his family made their fortune on the sea. We've got the crab feeder who is attacking pirates and ships. And he says, it's getting out of hand. Like, this is not a good situation. Viserys, sir, king, um, I'm going to need you to kind of step in, right? And like, it's interesting because there's a flex in the scene where Corliss is actually interacting with Viserys as family and not as subject to king. Yes. So he's kind of being a little like ballsy and being like, yo, are you, are you going to king right now or what? Are you going to king to king or are we going to talk real? Right. And Viserys gives like a very, I would say diplomatic answer that a war against the free cities would not be good for Westeros. They outnumber Westeros. I think it's like two to one. They're also trade partners with everyone in the Southern Kingdoms. He he does a he does the diplomatic thing. And I will say that like I really think Viserys is like a good king, right? Maybe I don't know. He did kind of send his wife off to death. But segue, you know, he does say you know the job of a king is to prevent war. So it's really interesting to talk about good and bad kings in Westeros. I said or really good and bad gods in many ways since they ride dragons. Agreed. I saw a really great TikTok this week that was asking if Robert Baratheon was a good king. And they were saying, you know, prior to, aside from just a, one rebellion, like it was a, a really long time of peace, right? And if you are looking at Westerosi kings, the mark of a good king would be long periods of peace. Um, so let's just say for now that Viserys objecting to going to war with the free cities feels a little bit like some of the more complicated discussions we have in the U.S. of whether or not we step in somewhere. Right. And we all know the United States does one thing <laughs> and it's definitely step in in places where they're not welcome. I would just say it's complicated and nuanced, but you have Corliss offer some information that feels again, not like a subject speaking to a King, but like a cut, like cousins speaking as, as a Latina, this is primo to primo, not like subject to King. He's like, well, okay. So let's just tell, let me, let me just tell some truths. Right. I am. Like Damon is a hundred percent fortifying his own power at Dragonstone. He's also got the gold cloaks over there, right? And this is the first time we understand that almost a year and a half has passed between the last episode and this episode. Yes. Um, did you feel whiplash to the fact that time moved that quickly? They definitely moved ahead in the way and I was expecting a time jump. And so it didn't hit me that hard. Okay. I feel a little bit like when we would have... I don't know, Arya takes 17,000 episodes to get somewhere, but Daenerys would literally be crossing Westeros in like 15 seconds in that last season. I mean, it she does like, have dragons. That's true. It feels a little rushed to me, um, but I, I know where we're going. So I, I know what the impetus of action is here. So I'm, I'm, I'm forgiving a little bit of like, oh, a year and a half passed between episode one and two. That's that's a bit of time. So we know that in this year and a half year, uh, Damon fortified Dragonstone. He pretty much took over tra Dragonstone. So he refused to go home to the ugly wife and the sheeps, right? Two, uh, he has the gold cloaks, right? Um, and three, he is considered by the people at the council table as simultaneously a threat, but also what appears to be a subject you don't touch and Corliss touches it. And it's a little bit anxious, right? Um, Cause the, the topic kind of switches really quick. Viserys still clearly has that like soft spot for his brother. Cause it's kind of like a, mm, uh, okay. It's his brother. 
Right. And so he tells Corliss, like, look, I'll take care of the crab feeder. Um, it's, it's fine. Like, I'm, sh- I'm sure we can dialogue. And Rhaenyra accidentally, I read this as accidentally, without thinking, I'm not supposed to speak here, says, well, you have dragon riders. Like, send us. It would it would be a show of force. It'd be powerful. Like, uh, And then Corliss drops what is what I would call the like the mic drop of the episode which is where he says well at least the princess has a plan so two very important moments here right we have Rhaenyra effectively giving advice to the king that is like hey you have dragons use them and then you have Corlys saying not that Rhaenyra has a plan but by the inverse of that is you're useless. Well, she's a Targaryen. I think that's how I read it. Like, at least she's willing to be a Targaryen. You're yeah, yeah, right, willing right. to it, be here and like, play prince. Yeah, it was a cut to, to Viserys, right? Um, and so Otto Hightower, who I don't know about you, but I just can't fucking stand, even though I love the actor. Um, I just, he's my new, like, I want to strangle him. Um, I think that's the point. No, I know. he's. That's exactly who he's supposed to be. He realizes that there is a power play movement happening in the council room. So he's like, I think we should send the princess to go help find a new Kingsguard, right? So this is a move to get her out of the room, get her power out of the room, get her presence out of the room, and to not let anyone in that room view Rhaenyra as someone who deserves to be at the council table. Or at the head of the council table. Right, right. Um, So she gets taken out of the room and she goes to effectively do like the bachelor, but for King's guards. Right? Like, yeah, it was fairly interesting. We've got those beautiful kind of like chess pieces of the house sigils. So whoever's up to bat, they put the sigil and then they'd come out and talk. And she's just hashtag unimpressed by all of them. She really and, is. And she even asks, like, have any of these motherfuckers even fought? Or do they just preen around kind of like peacocks, right? And then Sir Christian Cole. Hello, appears. Christian. Hello, Christian. Uh, Sir Christian Cole appears, and he is the son of the sword of the Lord of Blackhaven. He's dreaming. I mean, just classically dreamy, right? How do you not um, love someone from Dorne? I know, I know. And he has the one thing Rhaenyra was like, um, no one here is impressive. He's got a shit ton of fighting experience, like actual fighting experience. And so guess who becomes the new Kingsguard? Christian Cole. It sounds like such a modern name for Game of Thrones, no? But it's spelled, it's spelled differently. It is spelled differently. Uh, so she legit is like that guy. And then, like, steps out, like, not giving anyone the time of day, right? And then we step into what I think is probably the most powerful scene in this entire episode. I don't know about you. This is this is the series, though. Like, this whole scene is technically what the series is based off of. Like, we are going to be in season whatever of this show. And ultimately, it all boils back down to this where we see what happens. We do. So we've got Rainies and Rhaenyra. Rainies being the queen who never was, right? Uh, having a chit-chat, a kiki, if you will, right? Um, I mean, ultimately, she's sitting there and she's... I feel like she was semi-impressed with Rhaenyra, but ultimately what she's trying to say is, is you're doing all of this for nothing. And ultimately, by doing it for nothing what we see is her really having this heart to heart with her niece and trying to get her to understand a hard truth that she herself had to come into play at an age when she wanted to be queen and when she wanted to be there and do everything that she wanted. And she eventually says that, you know, you are never going to be the king, queen, and that this world and these men that you are playing chess with would rather burn this mother down 
then C, you sit at the high throne. So we end up with Sir Christian Cole, right? Putting all of these other uh, folks that stepped up for the King's Guard to shame, right? She chooses him and then kind of like flitters off Rapunzel style. Uh, and the queen who never was, Rainies, is watching this and she watches Otto's reaction. And you can tell that they have all just witnessed Rhaenyra is stepping into her power in the council room and in this decision, right? I think Otto expected her to pick someone who would strategically benefit the houses, right? Not necessarily. And the fact that she was like, at a minimum, he needs to have picked up a sword, right? Is a stepping into power, a stepping into a personality and queenship that is clearly strategic in ways that Otto is not, right? And I think Rainey's watching this kind of sees herself reflected in Rhaenyra, which I would think is a hard pill to swallow for the queen who never was, right? Uh, but this is clearly the moment where Otto's like, cut her, get rid of her. And I don't mean that literally, but kind of, right? Well, Otto's like, stop her now. I think he sees how powerful she's about to become. Yes, yes. It's that moment, again, of stepping into power. And so then we we move to Allison being in the Saris's Lego room, right? With his detailed model of old Valyria. Um, and they have like a really kind of strange moment. So I, I think what we're supposed to grasp as the as the people watching is a year and a half has passed. It doesn't seem like anything. Tell me if I'm wrong and if I'm being stupid, but it doesn't seem like anything sexual has happened, right? It's just been that she's She's gained his trust. Yes, yes. I think it's that she, I think she's, she's playing the cards her father has asked her to play quite well, right? But it is awkward. Um, And after like a bit of an interaction that you're like, ugh, she must be so tired of this. But well, she picks at her fingers. Right, right. She's just nervous. He brings up Rhaenyra and he's kind of like, I can't seem to get her to open up ever since her mother's death. Like I'm really struggling. And Allison gives the type of motherly advice a 14 year old can give. I'm being sarcastic. She actually gives good advice and says, you know, talk to her, open up to her. Um, But then we get a little bit of insight because he says, Hey, you haven't told her that we like talk while I'm doing Legos, right? This is our little secret. This is our little secret. It's so skeevy, right? I mean, like, did you get, like, very, like, Catholic church vibes? So, it's, okay, it's interesting because this whole week from TikTok to Twitter has been on fire over Game of Thrones, incest, pedophilia, the ways in which age and and stuff is used in Game of Thrones. And I think for me, um, one, age is different in Westeros. And we know that from having lived through Game of Thrones for like nearly 10 years, right? Uh, In Game of Thrones, they aged everyone up. However, in Game of Thrones and this book, when they talk about like a young prince who's three years old, that three-year-old is already talking. Right. So I think we have to give some understanding to the fact that in George R. R. Martin's world, the way that he uses age and what it means, the signifier is different. That's not to say that I don't think Alicent is way too young for the king. Right. That's not to say that the baby child we're about to talk to is not too young for the king. But it is to say that I think if we will lose everyone all season talking about both age and incest, if that is what the focus is on, if there isn't an understanding that we know this from the get-go going into Game of Thrones, which is the Targaryens marry family. That's it. And for everyone who's like, but it's not okay. It's based off of the War of the Roses. And literally Queen Elizabeth was married to her cousin, right? So like it's, it, it isn't actually far removed from the discussion. I'm not saying there isn't a discussion to be had of like why the kings go mad and why people have deformed children in this show. We will be meeting the, like, like we will, there is a lot to discuss about it. It's just not something I'm going to get caught up in because it's not actually a part of, the only part of it that is the story is the human part, which is Alicent 
is Rhaenyra's best friend and contemporary. And her dad is like, please don't say anything. And to your question of does it feel Catholic-y? Um, kind of. But I think more than anything, it just feels sad to me. This episode paints Viserys for me as like stuck in kind of like an inescapable situation. I know we're not supposed to uh, feel for Viserys in the sense that like, oh, he's being offered a ton of young girls, but I feel like he visibly is uncomfortable with the offering overall. Yeah. You know, there's this whole vibe here, right? Because I've been really trying to think about the difference that we see with Viserys in this way. And I think that so many people see like the Targaryens as gods. And that is where like Rhaenyra really in the first episode breaks it down because they have this like spiritual or magical power about them. But Viserys grounds it in this like people level kind of dichotomy that then he sees that they all are faulty like him and he sees his body failing him and all of these things are occurring in this way where he's realizing himself that he is destructible right he is not indestructible it's interesting that he sees the chess plate the chess pieces being being played but he doesn't see the ones in which he's a chess piece I think that's what, like, that gets to the point of it, right? Which is the fact that he can tell that he's being thrown an eight-year-old and that the push for his marriage feels just so political, but that he can't tell that Otto has something very at stake, planned, and strategic with Allison is just disingenuous to me. And, like, I don't want to say, like, Viserys is an idiot because I don't think he's an idiot. I think that this is actually what happens where folks who do engage in inappropriate behavior always have an excuse for why they're not one of the bad ones. Does that make sense? So like Viserys yes. is clearly like that eight-year-old, it's, it's a no-go. It's a no-go. But with Allison, he is blind to the chess piece. He's blind to the t- high towers moving. And he's blind to the fact that like, she's clearly uncomfortable around him because he's telling himself a different narrative. Because if you want something, you tell yourself a different narrative. So that does make it predatory to me. But I also feel like by him naming that it's inescapable, it's just a really complicated piece of storytelling. But let's talk about this. Because like Allison goes on a walk with Rhaenyra and she brings up like, hey, so like, have you thought about like, if your dad gets remarried, right? And Rhaenyra, her face is just kind of like, first off, Millie's facial acting, she's the new Carrie Mulligan. She doesn't have to do a lot with her face to tell you exactly how she feels. And she's just not, she's not in it, right? She's not. She's Um, really not. I mean, it's not there. Yeah. And so we have this moment where Allison hands her a candle they're down in the dungeons, right, where, you know, they they offer, I guess, prayers to the old gods, the new, and dragons, right? And she tells her, like, hey, why don't you speak openly and freely about the loss of your mom? And so this is an extremely, to me, manipulative moment in this show. And it's the first time that we see Alicent playing the game. And I think we need to recognize that she is playing the game here because she's doing that thing where she's like, hey, let me be the person who holds space for you. Talk about what it feels like to lose your mother. Light a candle. Light a candle to like the old gods. Like I'm here. And Rhaenyra ends up crying, right? And and kind of like lets herself have this very vulnerable moment with her friend. And then- um, It's truly one of the first moments where she's able to kind of let her guard down and be sad. I know. I know. It happens in a place of worship. Yeah, it happens in a place of worship and it happens by someone who is already playing the Game of Thrones, right? So it is really kind of sad to see this as Allison's. For me, this is Allison's first betrayal. It's the first time she she tries out what it would feel like to be a mom to her. And Rhaenyra is not privy to an, to it enough to understand that that's what, ha- what is happening, right? Um, so later we have Viserys trying to to do the politicking right um the politicking with Corliss and Rainey's right because Corliss is not happy about the crab feeder he's not happy about the lack of of political kind of movement and he, he 
you can tell Corliss is much more strategic than Viserys because he he switches from family to 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 um like servant right and he's like I'm really sorry that I spoke out of turn um that I spoke so informally kind of right but but can I can I lay one out on you and we then speak brother to brother right um and then we watch the second time in this episode of people moving chess pieces against Rhaenyra, right? So both of them, right, say, hey, I feel like there's a lot of unrest right now because folks are not excited about Rhaenyra being queen, right? And we need a show of force. We need to come together. Um, we need to tackle the issue at the Stepstones with the crab feeder, but also we need to bring our houses together. And it, effectively what, it, what they're saying is the original wound of that first council needs to be fixed. So marry our daughter, right? Elena. And like 10. Eight, eight. Oof. I think she's eight. I think she's eight. And, and then we unite the two Valerian houses. We unite both sides of the dragon that were split, right? And it's, that's it. That's how we fix this. And, and that's how we stay in power forever. Well, I mean, strategically, it, it's a good move, right? It's a good move on their part because I, I don't think Rainey's is, is gunning for the, for the crown anymore, but I think Rainey's is gunning for reparations and reparations would be to see her, her daughter become queen and also mother of Kings, right? So it's, it's, it, it's not a bad idea, right? But Viserys, which is where I'm saying it's like nuanced and complicated, he is like, uh, you mean that infant, that child, right? Like he knows it's, it's not okay. He and knows he knows that it just feels icky. Yes. Okay. So look, right back to back, we have two back to back scenes of two different houses moving forward with delegitimizing Rhaenyra. Hashtag we stand our queen. So then we have a scene that follows this, which is kind of like an intimate scene between Viserys and Rhaenyra, where he decides to actually follow Alicent's advice to talk to her. And he says, you know, I really loved your mom, right? Like I loved her. And Rhaenyra says, me too. And then um, the Alan Menken music swells. No, but it's like a soft, it's a soft moment, right? It's a and moment Rhaenyra, to show that they're different from the Game of Thrones people that we're so are. used to. That is such a good observation that like everyone's playing the Game of Thrones and they're literally still just in mourning and also a little bit too disconnected from the Game of Thrones to play effectively. Because they think they're invincible. It reminds, we, we keep, talking about the house of windsor but it feels a little bit like like everyone opting out of the torturing of a black woman in the royal family and people being like we're fine right and it's like you're not fine you're yeah, not fine this is not okay this is not okay and you need to wake up like like chrissy wake up <laughs> like wake up stuff is happening and that's how it feels but i do love that rainiera does apologize to her dad about being like uh you could just send us in with the dragons and he really kindly is like you're young and you'll learn and you know we have a lot in common like i i see you it's and an she really respects him yeah and she loves him and respects him yeah and she so, respects the crown yeah in what is quite a revolting turn of events. Later that night, we see Viserys. His hand is turning black, right? He's he's got a little bit of um, a little bit of the tetanus, a little bit of the tetanus on the vision finger happening, and they put it in maggots to, to be in hopes of not. I, I if I remember correctly, it wasn't to heal it. It's that they'll remove the parts that are They're dead. They're going to eat Something the dead. rot. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's what they do. They're maggots. Whoa. <laughs> it's so gross but this um, is actually what people did no it's so disgusting and then Otto takes this moment to talk about how he thought it was audacious for Rainey's and, and Corliss to talk about marriage and Viserys is kind of like what what you think you think maybe it's like like it's just I, I can't maybe he is a himbo like maybe he is just a himbo who lost his wife. I don't know. Um, 
but he's clearly being outplayed, right? And uh, and by giving Otto the information that he is a little skewed out by the offer of an eight-year-old, he gave him a card to play, right? And this just takes me back to when Damon was like, you need me because I will tell you the truth. I am looking out for you. I may be the chaos, but I'm not your chaos. Like I'm not. And I keep thinking about that, right? Um, so Viserys is, it's clearly just kind of distraught with like the idea of marrying an eight-year-old. Uh, and Otto's like, I wouldn't do it. Like, that's how I, I read the scene when he's like, I lost my wife. And like, it's just, they're not that replaceable, right? Yeah. It's such a, it's strategic. Also, it's- Targaryens are supposed to marry Targaryens. And the well, problem here well, is, is there's few. <laughs> well, and she's technically both Targaryen and of old Valyria, right? So she's, pedigree is impeccable. Right. And Coralist says that even they go beyond the Targaryens. In terms well, he has of like a really old. shady comment, which is depending on the history books, we outdate you all. Right. Like he has like a. We really were here nice, first. Right. Which he's not wrong. Uh, he's, he's not wrong having read the history of Westeros. Uh, we have next a scene that I absolutely loved as a horse girl growing up. Uh, this scene made me laugh, even though it is so creepy, because this would be me. If I had been offered as an eight-year-old bride to a king who had dragons, let me tell you what, we would not be talking about my wedding gown. We'd be talking about the dragons. So like Viserys takes this walk with Lena um, and she can't stop asking about the dragons, right? And then she kind of catches herself. And then she's like, I will be a dutiful wife to you. And Viserys is like, is that what your dad said to tell me? And she's like, yep. And then he asks a really telling question. He's like, what'd your mom say? And she says that I would not have to bed you until I was 14. So that tells us a couple things. One, that everyone's aware that she's too young. But two, that there is some strategy at play in regards to how quickly they just need to get her in, right? Like, they know that they're up against the clock. Do I think they knew they were up against Otto Hightower? Maybe, maybe, I'm not sure. But it, it means that they knew that they did not have six years to wait for her to- Well, the thing about the Hightowers is he's always one step ahead. That's the thing. The Hightowers are just Machiavellian. Right. So Rhaenyra is watching this from above and she's clearly like, ugh. Great. My dad's just going to keep trying to, to bet a woman to find a male heir, right? Like that's just, that's it. That's all. And she bumps into Rainey's, right? And Rainey's and her have an exchange that's a kiki, a kiki, if you will, an exchange that I would say almost every single, I can only speak for myself as a a cis woman, but that every single cis woman who has ever felt, and I would say any woman, cis, trans, folks that are non-binary, like anyone who's felt the weight of the patriarchy and has relied on an elder has had this conversation, right? So uh, you, she sees Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra's clearly like, are you fucking kidding me, right? And Rhaenyra says that like, when she becomes king, this type of bullshit where like her dad would need to marry a child to perpetuate the line won't happen. There'll be a new order. Right. And did you get Daenerys vibes where she's like, I'm not going to. Yeah. It was a smash the wheel moment. I'm going to, this is a smash the wheel moment, but the thing that. Break the wheel. You know, Rhaenyra really says she's like, she looks on and she's like, Oh, little girl. Like, no, you won't super condescending she does the whole thing where like i was in your shoes before i survived it it was awful but you cannot fix this like you can't fix this you they need a male heir it's not gonna be you and it's a like and scene and like it's a great scene it also sets up the tension for effectively the rest of the show which is this is not a spoiler you're going to have rhaenyra fighting for what she has been given and what she believes is hers right this new order this new vision uh 
effectively one side of house fighting for one thing and other sides of house fighting for power through more traditional ways. Um, you feel like this is a scene where we have, you know, talked about this in the past where women just uphold the patriarchy or is she ultimately Rainey's a tool on the inside trying to break it down? Um, I would say having actually lived this conversation multiple times with multiple bosses, uh, there is an old order that is unable to not only imagine a different future, but they're resentful of it when it comes. So I don't think she is supporting Rhaenyra in any way, shape or form. I don't think she would, I think, I don't think she would expect anything different from her. So she's pimping out an eight-year-old, right? In hopes of eventually being the grandmother of a king, but she's still pimping out her child like chattel. Um, And I think when I say like, there's this very specific type of elder in, in women communities and queer communities, I like all the time, right? Which is like, oh, what? So like now you all just want to be queer? And it's like, yes, <laughs> we do. Oh, so you just think everything's assault? No, actually everything is assault that you thought wasn't is, um, right? There's like, it's, 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 an, it's, a, it's a devastating scene for Rhaenyra and also for Rainey's, right? Like she, she was the queen who never was. Like that was her throne. That was hers to wield. She's clearly strategic. She's clearly smarter than Viserys, right? And it's just, it, it never happened. And instead of, of uplifting her niece and saying, we, we already have a queen and saying my trauma my harm will not be perpetuated. She's like the people who like, well, I paid my student debt. So like, why shouldn't she pay her student debt? And it's like, why should someone suffer because you did, right? Why should someone be in chains because you were? Uh, yeah, no. Exactly. It's, 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 it's a, it's a and hell of a- what's, And what's the line that she leaves her with? Your father's no fool. Exactly. The He's playing is- the game too. It's men would rather see the throne destroyed than hand it over to a woman, and your father is not a fool. And scene. Uh, scene. Uh, what sucks is we can use this line literally today in American politics, and it still reigns supreme. So that's why fantasy is so important because it tells us the hard truths of our own world. Um, I have yet to see men who would not rather burn the White House down and see a woman in it. So, uh, yeah. All right. So. Viserys then has another meeting with Alicent, who again is like literally tearing off her nails as someone who has ADHD and generalized anxiety disorder. Let me tell you, she's having a fucking panic attack at the idea of becoming his wife, right? Um, But she gives him a gift for his Lego model, right? (laughs) Um, He went to Legoland. Yeah, he's always playing with those. and then we have the catalyst for this episode, which is this, this kind of uh, Lego date is interrupted by uh, news to the small council from a dragon keeper that Damon stole a dragon egg. Um, and the reason he stole it, right, is because Lady Miseria is... Uh, pregnant. Pregnant. I was gonna say also now a lady, right? She's Lady Mysteria of Dragonstone. And it is you tradition. You are Lady Marcy. Right, Lady Marcy. Uh, and it's tradition for dragon eggs to be placed in the cradle with a Targaryen child. They thought that that would cause the dragon to bond with the child, right? So he needed an egg, right? I'm a little confused because there should be eggs at Dragonstone, but, but sure, right? I'm like, okay, when I'm watching this, I'm like, it's weird to come here to steal an egg when you're literally at Dragonstone. Like you should be able to have eggs. Um, and Rhaenyra in Old Valerian asks the dragon keeper, what egg did he fucking take? I don't think she said fucking, but it felt I felt it. Uh, she interrupts her dad even because she's so fucking pissed because the dragons are not just social capital in this world, right? For them, it's it's something much more personal. Right. And it, and he tells her in Old Valerian, um, he took Dreamfire's egg. Right. And Dreamfire's egg turns out to be the egg that she, Rhaenyra, had chosen for Prince Balon, uh, <laughs> the prince who never got to live. Right. Um, the What was it? The heir for a day. Yeah. 
And obviously this is done for dramatic effect by Damon. Like this is he's a shady queen. He's a shady queen. He knew what this would what what this would cause, right? So Viserys finally finds the will to have balls and says, I will go to Dragonstone. I'll drag him by the neck, bring him here, make him face justice. And Otto's like, sit the fuck down. Otto's like, you're the king. Like you do know you don't get to go into war until the battlefield's been cleared. And I'm like, Otto. This is very strategic because if we know anything from Westeros, it's that kings go to war and they die. So not letting him go is a neutering moment. It's like if we ever understood what uh, Viserys was able to do, this is it. Not much because he listens to Otto, right? Um, so Otto gets in his armor. So he, I think in Otto's head, he's going to go. He's going to get the egg. He's going to put Damon in his place and then like he's in a place to wield even more power, right? Um, Because he's the one that gets it done. Yes. But before he leaves for Dragonstone, uh, he asks Alicent if she'll be going to the king's room that night. And she scratches her fingers again, uh, wishing she was dead, uh, says, if you want me to. And so this is where we know, again, they're they're playing together now right they're playing together um we're off to dragonstone beautiful i'm going to use air quotes cinematography of a foggy foggy dragonstone um it's almost like you can feel the fire that feeds the dragons there right it's one of my fate this is this show is firing like literally right but this show has definitely got the money and we are not like in cheap world territory no what's like remember when i was like i'm nervous about a show centered on dragons because the cgi didn't hold up earlier it holds up here beautifully so um this is an like an just an upgrade visually so damon comes out he welcomes otto and his stupid old man like armor to dragonstone and otto this is very much like all those movies we watch where people just walk up to the battle line with like horns and it's like, yo, horn boy, you're, you're going to die. Like, There's people with like horses and spears and you've got a horn. Um, and Otto, you know, re- like demands that Damon return the egg, uh, return the island, which is technically Rhaenyra's island. Right. She's so Rhaeny- the heir. She's the heir to Dragonstone. And Damon's like, uh, where's the king? Uh, and Otto's like, um, you're, you're not worth putting him at that risk. Like, we weren't going to bring him. Like, t- this is to bring Damon down a peg or two. This is so it's clear that Damon was expecting his brother to come, and so they would be equals on footing in the narrative in Westeros that they're fighting. You need the king to show up for Damon to be considered an equal threat to the king. With him not showing up, Damon just looks like a petulant child, right? Yep. Throwing a hissy fit with his exactly. War. So as much as I hate Otto, it's a good power play, right? Um, and then they have a bit of a talk of like why the egg was stolen. And he's like, well, my wife, you know, uh, she's going to be pregnant. And like, I need the egg. No, he says egg. she is pregnant. She is pregnant. We need the egg. It's the rightful thing for a Targaryen, right? Uh, and... Otto's like that common whore right there that that girl her face in this scene is devastating because we find out that she had no idea any of this was happening she's also not pregnant and they're not married this is all a facade so that she only chose him because she didn't want to be sold anymore again women do what they need to do for safety right and all of a sudden she's very not safe she can tell she's not safe she can tell she's being used Right. And then she's been called a common whore, which like, look, it's cool if I'm a common whore, but you don't get to call me that. Do you know what I mean? Um, again, the the hatred between these two is just it's homoerotic at this point. <laughs> I mean, I'm here for it and I'm looking forward right. to the fan fiction. Right. So uh, we have this hard exchange and then we hear what at first I thought was Damon summoning um Caraxes. like i was like oh it's so stupid to show up here with no dragons 
Like auto, no dragons. When one dragon can literally burn all of you. I, I was real. Like I think what's hard for me to understand is when the dragons are used and when they're not. Maybe I'm sociopathic, but if I have a dragon, I'm using it every time. Well, the thing is, is we see how fragile dragons are, right? Yes, they are hard to kill, but as you saw in the last season of Game of Thrones, they certainly took their time. You know, you know what I mean. But the thing that the show Game of Thrones didn't do until really the arena scene is show the connection that's in the books between Targaryens and dragons. They almost have this bond when something's wrong, they come to find their like person, right? In that case, it was Drogon who came and found Daenerys. And if you read the books, you know, she was kind of left alone without dragons in that time of Marine and blah, blah, blah. This is no different, but I think it's more masterful here because what we ultimately see is the bond that dragons have with their riders. So we'll learn this, that they're not willing to put their dragons at risk over everything, which is which is why I'm, I felt sociopathic because I'm like, anyone speaks a lot of my name? Anyone. This is my dragon, right? I'm burning you Burning down. you. Magdalena on fire, not on repeat, on fire. Um, but I did think it was Caraxes. And instead, we actually see Cyrax, Rhaenyra's dragon, come out of the clouds, carrying Rhaenyra, a scene very reminiscent of Danny riding back when she enjoyed riding. And everyone is like the fuck is going on so Rhaenyra lands uh Cyrax beautiful baby right like walks over to her uncle and old Valerian is like the fuck you doing and he's like what's up bro what up bro and he's like uh my, my, I was about to do Borak, but I can't. My wife, right? And she's like, that's not your wife. Your wife is the ugly one with the sheep. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I need the egg for my child. And she's like, you're not going to have a kid, which means Rhaenyra knows that he has ED, which I think is so gross. But there is no reason for that sentence where she's like, you're not going to have a child. There's no reason for her not to think that she was, that Lady Miseros was pregnant. Unless she knows that Damon struggles to have sex, right? And I was like, Ugh! and then he goes, well, maybe someday, right? And at this point, Missaria does like actually leave, right? And this is the first time I'm like, oh, she speaks old Valerian. Got it. Okay. Um, and then and ultimately, she's the one. I mean, he was baiting her ultimately, but she not only has two, she has two power play moves in this episode right it's the first at the high council where it's like kind of she's afraid of her voice but in this this one where she doesn't tell anyone she rides her effing dragon all the way to dragonstone and it's like yo bro i'm gonna save the day right 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 right. um damon is clearly like completely not prepared for Rhaenyra herself moving her own chess pieces right like clearly no one knew she was coming Damon's like what the and it's like very petulant right he's like she can be my wife I could have a child right and then she does the unthinkable which I thought was so brave where she's like look if you want the throne you have to fucking kill me eventually do it fucking do it I'm right here and Damon shows his his weakness which is Rhaenyra he can't he can't can't. and it's established in the first episode when he's sitting on the iron throne it's it's already established when he brings her the Valerian steel necklace right um we know but this is the moment where we see how how deep does it go he won't do it not that they would have let him but he won't do it and he just he tosses her the egg right and just turns his back on her and he also knows in that moment that he's handing Rhaenyra authenticity, right? So Rhaenyra gets to get the egg from him, put it away, ride home as the as the heir to the throne that pretty much told the petulant boy brother king, absolutely not, right? Um, I think it's really important. And when he goes upstairs and finds Myseria, like she's pissed as hell and like, you can tell that like he had not thought of the danger he put her in or anything because he doesn't think like that. 
He doesn't think long strategic steps. He thinks one thing at a time. The one thing was my brother will come and then we'll be equals. And instead his niece comes, humiliates him. And he also humiliates his, his lady love, right? It's a great scene. Back at um, King's Landing, right? Uh, we have the council chatting again, right? And, um, and, finding out what has happened, right? And it's interesting to see Rhaenyra effectively set the scene for, so you all are playing, I'm going to play, right? I'm going to watch this. Watch this. We also have Viserys ask one of his advisors, hey, what would you do? Would you marry the eight-year-old? Like, what what do you think, right? Um, And like, he's like, kind of, yeah, I really would. Like I I I would marry the eight year old, and like you can tell that he doesn't love the answer, right at all. It just but feels like, icky to him. It feels icky, but also this is where we know that he already knows who he wants to marry. Yes. Right. So asking for advice from the the council is kind of useless if he's not really asking anyone for permission. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like when someone's like, hey, I think I did something bad, uh, but tell me it's going to be okay. And someone says, no, it's bad. It's bad, right? The idea of turning down Corliss is bad. It's not about the eight-year-old. It's the fact that you cannot turn down Rainies and Corliss. They're too powerful. It doesn't make sense. There's no strategic reason to do it. Uh, All right. Well, he's holding Allison's little Lego gift. And you could, like, it's foreshadowing, like, we know exactly where this is going. Uh, they go to the council room, and it's announced that the princess has returned from Dragonstone. And everyone's like, excuse me? What do, what do you mean? Where'd right? you go? Where'd you go in <laughs> spirit, Southwest? <laughs> what? And, like, he's like, that was so stupid. Like, why would you go? You're too important, right? Um and then they do more of the stuff over the mom. And it's like, we get it. And he's like, I need a new wife. And she's like, I get it. And he's like, but you, you're my heir. But our line's vulnerable. But it'll be okay. Because like, this is all amongst family. Like, it's Corliss. Like, it'll be fine, right? We'll survive. And she asks a really important question. She goes, against who? Right? Like, who are we trying to survive against? And he says, against whoever challenges us, right? And like, here's the thing, John, if you don't even know who your enemies are, you're already losing, right? Yeah. Like, I think everyone is much more aware than Viserys. And I think even as we've talked through this episode, we've got, we've almost got not a Ned Stark level of obtuse, because I feel like Ned Stark was too prideful to be smart. He was always like, I, trust the process. Right. And right. you're like, um, Sir. to quote Queen Cersei, mother, queen, we love, we stand, rest, stand. you know, rest in peace. Spoiler alert. Um, like when you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. Or you die. Right. And so the idea that like the the idea that Viserys is, is navigating in our line, as in the Targaryen Valerian line, the line of dragon riders will survive, is what he's thinking of as he thinks of, I guess that's why I marry an eight-year-old. And Rainier is like, yo, we have so many enemies that go beyond just perpetuating this bloodline. But like she with was- her, she would have already burned them all to the ground. I think she's more like me than a then yeah she's more like i have a dragon <laughs> right but um but she does say like hey i understand you're gonna have to get married i think mom would have understood you know it's a very like a very tgif mother daughter kind of acquiescence of like it's all right dad like but she mom- expects her to marry someone else because yeah, allison's she- been doing this behind her back she she's she expects the eight-year-old or or someone else you're you're right and when she's like mom would get it mom would not understand you marrying my best friend bff aff always and forever so when viserys right comes into the room to announce who he's gonna marry right corliss is obviously looking like he's won the game of thrones 
Um, and Rhaenyra like looks at her dad and she's like, you've got this, right? And he says, Allison, Lady Allison Hightower. The room goes silent, right? And then Corliss like, like just like fucking throws the chair, gets out of the room. Rhaenyra follows, but she does look at Allison before she just storms out of the room, right? She does make the eye contact of like, oh, I see you now. I see you. And, you know, we said that the moment that sets off the storytelling for this is when Damon makes fun of the air for a day. I think this is the second moment that that really establishes the story that we're going to be following, which is two women who um, start out. It's not an enemies to lovers or a lovers to enemies. It's it is fundamentally the story of two women who never stood a chance at caring for each other. Right. But that moment when she looks at Allison is the one human moment where she's like, are you kidding me? Right. Listen, lady. Yeah. So then we get the final scene, which we should have expected. It explains why we open with crabs. We end with crabs. Um, Corliss goes to Damon. Right. Did you expect that? No, Damon goes to Corliss. Is it? Yes. Who, what either way they end up talking to each other right and essentially Which, where it's meant to be set up it's meant to show Corliss is talking to someone and ultimately it's shown that it's Damon because they have more in common than they don't and the enemy of my enemy is my friend right right um they're, they talk about the crab feeder, they talk about the stepstones, they talk about how Westeros is weakened, right? Um, and how Viserys has effectively allowed anyone who wants power to move in close enough, but never, never enough for it to take his throne, but close enough for the kingdom to be in trouble, right? Um, and Corliss says, look, the crab feeder is, it's crippling my house, it is a problem, your brother is just not stepping up to play. And Damon says something around like, yeah, my brother was never good at that. And Corliss goes, what? And he goes, being king, which I thought was like a great, um, a great line. It's the same thing with the Windsors or with any of these things, right? It's like with, you know, Elizabeth's sister, we all, she wanted to be queen. Elizabeth didn't. Well, and he's not even mean about the fact that his brother isn't a very good king. He just almost says it like sadly, like, yeah, that's just never going to, he's never going to be the one who's like, let's go do it. Let's go take down the crab feeder. Let's, let's show strength in, in fire. Right. He's not going to do that. Right. And then Corliss says something about, you know, we're second sons. Right. So our worth isn't given to us. It has to be made. And this obviously closes this episode with an understanding that we have multiple fronts at the war for the throne right now. So I would say we have uh, the High Towers, which now includes Viserys, right? Because he's gonna marry Alicent, the High Towers. Uh, we have Corliss Rhaenys, uh coming to Damon, right? And then we have the wild card, which shouldn't be the wild card, but she is, which is Rhaenyra still being like, y'all promised me that throne. I Like, whatever y'all are doing, y'all promised me that throne. And if right? you see the preview for the next episode, there's another time jump, as we see, and stuff is about to go down. Yeah, I was surprised to see the young actresses in the preview for the next one. I thought it was only two episodes that we got them, so excited to get them for another one. Um just to note, this episode ends with more shots of the crab feeder, who is disgusting, but it lets us know that a war is coming. Again, we've got three fronts, and the war is not for the, the war is and isn't for the throne, right? There's three very privileged uh, groups fighting for the throne, while a real, a real war at the Stepstones, right, in the free cities is happening with the crab feeder. This feels very Game of Thrones when Cersei's like, I am queen of Westeros and everyone's like, okay, but there's an army of fucking zombies made out of ice coming. And Cersei's like, but my throne, but my throne, we've got, we've got like a real parallel there. So uh, that's how the episode ends. 
you're right. The shots for next episode were very the tutors to me. Yes. They were very the tutors to me. We've already noted in this last uh, podcast episode, uh, War of the Roses, but also the high renaissance of Westeros. So it's not surprising to even see the fashion influenced, right, by 1500s. Um, I didn't say high renaissance, just renaissance. Um, if you're an art history person, I love high renaissance. I'm not huge on the renaissance, but we know what's coming in the next episode. We obviously have shots of Allison already with a child. So we're moving chess pieces towards named Aegon. Uh, Aegon. We're, we're moving the chess pieces closer and closer to what will ultimately be the blacks and the greens and the fight for the throne. So that's it, John. The ultimate fall of the Targaryens. And the dragons. And the dragons. Uh, I always get really upset when the dragons get hurt. Some of my favorite dragons, I think, um, we'll see in the season. Uh, I, I, again, I know them all. Like, I have a little chart. I love them. She has a pie uh, chart. It's not a pie chart. <laughs> it's a Prezi. It's a Prezi. It's, it's 2007. Um, but... I'm excited about who, like who we could see coming up in this next episode. Um, I'm positive. This is the last episode with the young actresses because we need to actually move to what this war is about. And that requires aging people up significantly, but I think it's going to be an exciting episode. So I'm really excited to, to watch it Sunday. And we're going to be here and recapping it for you then. And I'll be live tweeting Sunday night, East coast time. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in for another episode of the Pop Culture Theologians covering House of the Dragon.